Tom. Yes! I learned that from Willy Wonka. Freedom! We are back. It's good to see your faces. I can't believe you're alive. I am so sick of talking to a camera and Dean pulling. I can't even tell you. Oh, it is so good. To be, it's good to hear kids laughing. That's all right. Because often when I we try to watch these morning services, I'd say, Michelle, quit doing the dishes, and kids get out of, under the blankets. Let's, it's good to be here. It's good to be here. Say amen. Is it good to be here? Let's hear some clapping. Yes! Woo! Let's pray. Let's pray. God, we love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. And we love you, church. And I first of all pray for the church. I pray that God, this time of woe will actually be a time that has strengthened us, that help us realize that the uh, community of believers is really important. I'm not sure, God, if we really believed that before. We take things for granted. Help us, God, to realize that um, worship is essential to our lives and encouragement is what keeps us going. I pray for our country, God. Our country's in bad shape. You know it. Pray you'd bring some leadership to this country that people would follow, that would mend some incredible divides. I pray, Father, ultimately for our own souls, that we would act like your people in mind and heart. Thank you, God, for um, this day to worship you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I was, uh, I don't know, have any of you felt like just you've been having cabin fever for the last three months, and so there's nothing else to do but surf the web. Nothing else to do but look at stinking social media. And I have seen too much Facebook. I think, I, I think my heart is diseased from looking at too much Facebook. The other day I was looking at Facebook, and I see a friend got a new boat. Man, I'd like to have a new boat. I saw another friend over COVID-19, they were able to do their whole, repaint their whole house and put that cool barnwood flooring, you know, in their kitchen. I still have the same carpet that looks like it's 20 years old. I go online and my daughters are showing me these TikTok kids that make millions of dollars. Did you ever, I'm sure she showed you Attaway General. The worst show I've ever seen. And they're ma they make millions of dollars. You guys don't know what TikTok is. It's so cool. You dance for 30 seconds. And you make a million dollars. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Talk about crazy. Or then you go online and people are saying, yep, during these turbulent times, you need to say something. And if you say something, they say, how dare you for saying something? So I don't... I don't know what to do anymore. I was reading this. I read this quote from a writer the other week. And a person says, Do you realize you're bombarded with 350 images of people totally happy and having amazing lives, and it's impossible not to feel like there's something wrong with you? And then we feel bad for feeling bad. We feel guilty for feeling guilty. We get angry about getting angry. And we get anxious about getting anxious. What's wrong with me? I would take it a step further and ask the question, and as a Christian, why would God even use me? I'm so flawed. I'm such a flawed human being. 
Here's a question we're going to work through as we go through our new study in the next couple months. And the question is this. Do you think God still loves a person and can even use a person? Even with all their warts, their moral failings, and even their bad habits. I had a guy ask me this question this week. Do you think God could use a guy who's divorced and has tattoos? Can God use flawed people? Well, guess what? That's the only kind of people there are. That's it. Human means of dirt. We are all flawed. And because of that, we're going to be starting a new series called Flawed. In the book of 1 Corinthians, if you could turn there. 1 Corinthians is a book written to a church that has problems. You think we as a church have had problems the last three months? You ain't seen nothing. Like these masks, this, this debate over masks, you ain't seen nothing until you read 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians are people who are flawed, who make a flawed church. But this flawed church is so important to God. So if you could stand, our first message is going to be sort of an introduction message, and it's going to be titled, Called, Though We're Flawed. So if you could stand... I'm going to read from the ESV. I've decided my ESV teaching is going to be for the New Testament. The NLT is, to me, a brilliant translation for the Old Testament. But I love how the ESV handles 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 through 9. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace God of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech, in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a great name that is. Who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You notice how he loves that name? Everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. By the way, did I tell you it's great to see you? <laughs> it's great to see you. Um, I want to begin by kind of giving you the background of 1 Corinthians. If you notice, it says 1 Corinthians. A lot of people, they don't really necessarily, and I'm not going to blame them, know what that means. So first means it's the first letter to people in Corinth that make up the Church of Christ. Corinth is a city in Greece. In the ancient times, it was called Achaia. See that darker brown? And then Macedonia is the yellow. Corinth is right in the middle, and it was a strategic place. It was only 40 miles to the west of Athens. Athens was the city. 
And in Corinth was also what I would call the causeway down to the southern part, where there's a lot of rich landowners, a lot of rich farmers, and it's a beautiful area, honestly. But what makes Corinth so interesting? It was located on an isthmus. It's so hard to say. It's like you have a list. Isthmus. <laughs> but an isthmus is a four-mile stretch of land that connects the, the uh, right there, Saronic Sea to the Corinthian Gulf, so that sailors who were traveling Instead of traveling all the way around the Greece Peninsula, they could take their boat, either unload, if you're a smaller boat, they had a whole pulley system where they'd pull it for four miles and then get on the other side. It would save two or three weeks of travel and treacherous travel. Bigger boats would unload right there and then they would send a smaller crew around the island and then pick it up on the other side. So what happened in Corinth, there's a lot of trading, there was a lot of money. There was a lot of jobs available. And they had people from every race, every nation. So you could say this, Corinth was a metropol or cosmopolitan place, like New York City or Los Angeles or Chicago. Not Cleveland. Cleveland's not there yet. But it was a cosmopolitan. By cosmopolitan, there's three things you can say about it. They had, they had a diversity of everything, of race, of religion, of ethnicity. They, they had a diversity of wealth. Second thing, there's opportunity galore. A lot of people that once were slaves, Roman slaves, would go to Corinth to become free. Because if you had skills, you had abilities, you could make a name for yourself. And then the final thing is they wanted to be people of high ideals of freedom. One scholar said the problem with the Corinthian church is they were under pressure to adapt the low standards around them. There was a lot of Jews there, so there's a synagogue there where the Christian church started. And then what happened is it became such a crucial church that Paul visited it three times. It was a very important place. However, it was in the middle of this raging metropolis where ideas and people and religions thrive. And so when you read 1 Corinthians, one of the major themes Paul's going to hit on is freedom, your freedom. But freedom to a lot of the people in the city of Corinth had this in mind. I'm free to think as I wish. I'm free to think whatever I want. Man, there's, uh, you know, if you ever read the story in Acts 17 with Mars Hill, Athens is right up the street, so you can be a Stoic, Epicurean, you can, you can be anything you want to be. Think any way you want to think. It's a free society. They had the freedom to behave as they feel. And be, by behave, they could do anything they wanted with their bodies. They had a shrine to Aphrodite, a goddess of fertility, and they had 100,000 female prostitutes at one time there because it's the way to worship Aphrodite. Kind of sick. First Corinthians 6, you'll see all of the different ways that they behaved sexually, which were not too good. And they also believed they had the freedom to worship whoever they wanted to worship. They had a giant temple of Apollo. Apollo was the Greek god of beauty, intellect. He was not a war god. He was a god of poetry, music, and the highest ideals of the human mind. It's Apollo. Like you could worship Aphrodite. Venus. Venus was the goddess of beauty and pleasure. 
And then you had, of course, Poseidon, or the Roman form of Poseidon's Neptune. So if I'm a traveler and I want to go worship Neptune, give him some, you know, give him some offerings so the rest of my travels will be safe. You can worship whoever you want. They were free. Sounds a little bit like America, doesn't it? Ecclesiastes says, did you know there's nothing new under the sun? Nothing new. So this is the culture of Corinth, cosmopolitan mind. So what we are doing in the very beginning is this is the introductory message. And the theme of this is called. Look at verse 1. Paul uses the word called. I'm called. In verse 2, the church is called. In verse 9, you are called. So the question is, what does this word even mean? What does called even mean? I put a definition there, I'm going to elaborate on it in a second, but called is a weird thing. We use this word in a lot of different ways, especially if you're Christian, because it sounds really godly when you use this word. But people use this word for a lot of different things, like they'll go into the kitchen, they'll see another piece of cake. I feel called to have another piece of cake. <laughs> it's calling me. I, you know, I know God wants me to have it. Some people feel called to join a specific political party and think the way that party's always thinking, and their knee-jerk reaction is do everything that political party thinks is right. They're called to be loyal to a movement. Some people feel called to be a certain kind of employee or career, which there is a, there is a calling, but the call in this passage is different than what what this is. Sometimes, sometimes I'm afraid we use the word called, we, we, we dumb it down as a pastor. What I mean by that is we will uh, research a passage, and after we research a passage, we'll give a sermon, and then we will use our points and say, you know what, after reading this, I want to challenge you to live like a Christian. You know, like in 1 John, it says, love your brother." Even if he's of a different race, love your brother. And I challenge you to love your brother as a different race. And the problem with, to me, using that word is challenge often kind of resonates with me like when my son says, hey, Dad, you want to, I challenge you to a game of Parcheesi. Nah, I don't feel like playing Parcheesi today. And sometimes we use God's mandate in the same way, like, you know what, I, I challenge you to do this. This isn't what this word means. This word means an invitation from God himself. It's a summons. It's a summons. It's klita. God is summoning you to do something. And the person who is summoning you, is his name is mentioned 15 times in the first nine verses. Look at this. Watch how often Paul uses his name. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Christ, king, the Messiah, king, he's a king. And our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that's in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Called to be saints together with all those in every place that call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's only two verses. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's Lord, Master, and King. And so what this word called means, and you can read the rest how many times Paul uses it, but 
what this means is this king, this God, has a desire, a divine desire. That's why verse 1 says, by the will of God. It's called the decree of God, where before the foundation of the world, he decided to set things up so that when they are obeyed, grace is poured upon the world and his name is glorified. It's his desire. So then what he does is he gives specific invitations. He'll give them to people, and he'll also give them to groups. And by specific, he's very clear. It's not a calling in the sense of, oh, I feel something warm in my chest, so I must do it. No, it's really clear. He detailed it through the prophets and the apostles and Jesus himself in here. It's very clear. And then this specific invitation, when I read it by faith and I, and I obey it by faith, I have obligations now. It's not like an option. It's not like I God's challenging you to be a part of the church. No, he's summoning you to be. Let me give you an illustration. Down the street, there's a high school. That high school's in the city, so it's called Kent City High School. Are you with me so far? Kind of with me. Now, at Kent City High School, they play sports there. They'll get back to playing sports. And they have a football team. So Kent City High School's like, okay, we need to have a coach. So they hired a guy by the name of Bill Crane to be the coach of the football team. No, hey, no loyalties to men. We're just, hey. I'm just an illustration. Illustration here, Lauren. So we hired a guy by, or Kent City hired a guy by the name of Bill Crane. Bill Crane sits down at his desk, takes out a piece of paper, and writes, my goals for the year. Win. Win. I want to win. I want to win football games. Okay. So how do I go about winning games? I will invite players to play. So he gives a specific invitation. This, if you want to play on a team, come to the practice field this time and make sure you have a release form and a doctor's release. So these players come out and they play. And when they join the team, they are given specific instructions that they're obligated to do. I know, because my son joined four years straight. He was a running team. And one day, my son, we wanted to just go as a family to the ice cream store. And my son said, I can't, Dad, I have to go to practice. I said, you don't have to go to practice. Who cares what that coach says? <laughs> he says, oh, I better go. He'll yell at me. Why will he yell at you? Because I have obligations. I'm like, well, you know what you should do if you go to practice? You should bring a keg of beer with you and all these girls and beach sand and play volleyball. He goes, Dad, you can't do that. I said, why not? Well, the school will kick me out, number one, but he's got rules and obligations. Well, why? Because I'm on the team. If I'm on the team, I'm not just free to do what I want. I have a, I have a king. I have, I, have been given, I have been given a calling and obligations to that calling. If my son, let's say he's a football running back, he was a running back, and he says, you know, the coach said we're going to run up the middle, but I, I like to pass the ball. Every time he got the ball and he passed the ball, the coach said, what's wrong with you? You're off. Well, I like the Morley coach better than you, and I want them to win. We get off the team. Sometimes people act like that to God. They'd rather obey other gods. 
They'd rather behave the way they want to. They're not obligated. You're not? Fifteen times, look at that name. The Lord Jesus Christ. The Master, who's God that saves, that's what Jesus means, and he's the Messiah, the anointed one, Christos. He's calling. Who does he call? This is where it really gets interesting. Who does he call? He has two specific callings in here, two groups he calls. The first person he's going to call is Paul. Verse 1, Paul called by the will of God, by the designer, the one who sat down at the table and designed it. Paul's called. I know why he picked Paul, because Paul was the smartest guy. He was so smart. He was the perfect guy. But do you know what details Paul's calling? If you go to 1 Corinthians 15, in verses 8, 9, and 10, it will describe Paul's call. So what kind of people does God call? Verse 8, Paul's talking about himself, and he said, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. Jesus Christ appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles. And the least, why? And I'm unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He killed Christians. Killed Stephen, one of the strongest Christians you ever saw. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. So you could say, Paul's saying, I'm really the last guy I sh that should have been picked. If you're looking over everybody who Jesus wanted to be his apostle, I wouldn't have bet on myself. I was the least. I was the most flawed. And what was his job to be an apostle? The one who was killing the church became the leader of the church. Was given the authority to lead the church. So often I think we look at our lives and we look in the mirror and we say, why would God even want me? Sometimes... Like, I know that I've been called to, it's been clear that I've been called to Kent City Baptist Church. It's been clear. But I look at my life and I say, why? I don't like to hunt. I don't like to fish. I'm not a farmer, and I don't eat that many apples. Why, why would I? And I root for Ohio State. What's wrong with this picture? God will choose who he wants for his reasons, and sometimes we have no idea why. So when you look at yourself and you say, why would he want me? I don't know, but he does. Watch how he called this other group. It's called the church. Go back to first, um, chapter 1. Verse 2, to the church of God, that's in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all the other saints. So what is the church? The church are those who were called by God under the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's what it says. Verse 2 is the greatest definition of the church. But, but it's people who respond to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus is my Lord and my King. Those who respond to that make up this assembly, assembled group. And this assembled group has what's called a universal witness. That means everybody in the face of the earth is part of the church who believes in Christ. But then what he has to do is he has to make it manifest or tangible or concrete so he forms bodies in different locations. We're called the Kent City Baptist Church. It's very important that we meet together. He wants it that way. He doesn't want us to be screen people. 
That was a great sermon today. I don't have to talk to anybody. I don't have to give my life to anybody. I just have to be filled. Mm, I got fed. No, that's not the truth. I wonder, though, why God would want me to be a part of the church. I don't do my devotions at 6 o'clock for two hours every day. I'm not perfect. I'm, um, I'm rather simple. I'm not that smart. Well, guess what? Just like Paul was the least, look at the people who are called to be in the church in verse 26. This is what Jesus says, or Paul writes about the church. For consider your calling when God summoned you, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many are a noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. So he, he calls fools? Yeah, yeah. Right here, look at verse 28. God chose what's low. God chose, chooses the lowly to become the saints. Those who are purified, sanctified to be like him, to look like him. It's really interesting. Somebody was texting me about somebody from our church was talking about if people, these looters came to my house, I'm going to shoot them with hollow, hollowed out bullets. Really? Is that the church? You know, it's really interesting. Have you read... Um, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34. The church at that time was willing to, willing to go visit people in prison, and sometimes if the people were in prison, unright, unright, they weren't put in for the right reasons. They were also willing to have their property confiscated if it would glorify God. Strange, isn't it? Read it. Who are we more loyal to? Holy saints are loyal to a kingdom with a king who's the Lord. But how? Why would he choose me? Because I'm not, I am not perfect. I am flawed. Well, how can a lowly person do it? Well, look at verse 1, by the will of God, and what you're going to see is God's going to do it through us, starting at verse 3 through 8. He does it all, and he does three things. So how does he take a flawed person and use him for his, you know, unite with other Christians to do things for his name, to be, to be saints. I can't do this on my own. I know. That's why the first thing it says in verse 3 is he's going to give you grace. He's going to empower you. So it says grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's going to give you grace to do what you need to do. He's going to give you peace so you can be one with fellow believers. And in verse 4 is even crazy. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you. He is thanking God for the people that are driving him crazy. This whole book is a book because Corinthians are driving him nuts. And he's thanking God for them. Why would I thank God for people who make me crazy? Do you know when people get upset at other people in the church, they often quit and leave and say, I just can't believe how the church is full of broken people. They're all messed up. Yes, we are. And Paul is giving thanks for that. Why? Because he knows if God's in them. See, when you believe in Jesus, he lives in you. You're united to him. Grace is in you. When you believe in Jesus, he changes you. So don't give up on each other. 
You know what drives me crazy about Facebook? It's just every, all anybody does is rip on each other. That's all they do. Don't give up on people. Because God's in them. Second thing he's going to do is equip us. Look at verse 5, 6, and 7. That in every way, you, the Corinthian church, were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge. The Corinthians were given eloquence and understanding, knowledge. They were able, and it was the perfect gifts for them. They had a guy by the name of Aquila and Priscilla, a husband and wife team. Apollos would come and debate scripture. Because this was a cosmopolitan city where you needed intellectual people. They were given amazing gifts. For what purpose? Verse 6, so that the testimony of Christ is confirmed. So that the gospel, or the person of Jesus, is seen large, is confirmed. He will give us gifts perfectly suited for our environment. Specifically, each of us. And this book talks about it. Sometimes, however, people, they don't think they're that important to the church, so they just leave. But you're given a gift. See how much time I have here. I, want to, I didn't use this illustration in the first one, but I'll use it real quick. Imagine, let's say, because Bill Crane's over there. Let's say Bill Crane doesn't have any quarterbacks, and he hears that there's a new kid walking down the hall who's got a great arm. And he goes to this kid, and he says, hey, I want you to join the team. The kid says, all right. Practice tonight at 7. A kid walks on and he notices the quarterbacks stink. Like they're bad. They can't ball, throw the ball five yards. So the kid gets up and he leaves and he goes, I'm quitting. Coach says, why? He goes, because look at your quarterbacks. They stink. Exactly. That's why I invited you. Get it? So many people are mad at the church about things. Maybe you're mad at the church about things because you're the one that's gifted to do that thing. Get it? All right, third thing. Empower, equip, and endure. And I'm going to say it like this. God will endure. So often we think, I'm going to endure. No, you won't. You won't. You can't. I wanted to quit so many times during this COVID stuff. I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to do another devotional. People never watch me. They only watch Jared and Trevor. I don't want to do this. <laughs> God will endure. Look at what it says in verse 8. 7. So that you are not lacking in any gift. He's going to gift you as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's until he comes. Just hang on. Why? Because God will sustain you to the end. Guiltless. He'll do it. God won't quit on you even when you want to quit. And I, I like to put it like this. God's reputation hinges on his ability to fulfill his promises. So if he says you will endure, you'll endure till he comes back again making you guiltless. Even if I'm flawed, especially if you're flawed. Especially if you're flawed. So you can ask the question, why even try? I'm too flawed. Some of you might say, I am too flawed. And I think part of our problem is we're aiming for the wrong thing. Our goal is the wrong goal. So often, I think people want the church to be great, whatever that means. That means we're the first church that doesn't have to wear masks. Look how we won. Give it two weeks. We're the church that sings the better songs. We're here to be great. No, that's not why we're here. We're here to save the world. Not necessarily. 
You know, we're here to fix America's problem. That's what the church is supposed to do. We're supposed to fix this whole police brutality issue and then this anarchy issue. And that, that's really not primarily our job. Primarily. Maybe some of you will be called to it. But what is our primary job? What are we called to? What are we summoned to? Look at verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son. Our job is to have fellowship with his son. And as you relate with the son, he will guide you. He'll use you where he wants you to be. But everything is contingent upon, take his yoke upon you. Know him. How many of you here are flawed? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you're flawed. Perfect. In this study. Is for you. 